Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. And we're back. This is two. Two in a row now for me here. Yeah. Well, we don't know when they're going to be broadcast. This is true. You know, now you've kind of like uh, oh, forfeited shit. your <laughs> your priority location. You know, there's a whole other prioritization scheme going on right now. So Uh-oh. I can't really say when, Uh-oh. when anything's going to happen. Wow. Okay, let's just say this is <laughs> two times in a row we've actually gotten it could together. Well, it could well be two in we, a row. Well, but we've we'll got, find we, out. We've done two podcasts. It's true. Well, they we, may we've not just be been sitting here. I mean, but... we're really... <laughs> there's virtually no distance between the two. <laughs> it's a glass of water. Got a glass of water. Glass now, of water. here we are again. <laughs> okay, before we actually start talking about something else, we have a topic. Mm. One of our listeners who is a good friend of mine and a very intelligent guy, asked us to discuss something. Mm. And let's see if we can actually manage to do that. <laughs> so Tim, Tim, We didn't do it last time. No, we didn't. <laughs> we, we, had, we had planned on it. We talked about it beforehand. We hit record, and then something else happened. <laughs> we were present with what was. <laughs> That's right. The last one was all about presents. So. Oh, oh, speaking oh, of presents... So here's here's the question. Yes. The notion of conscious evolution of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And then he says a- aka also known as alchemy or cybernetics question mark is a big one. I can't help but be a n- denier, he says. In either constitutional on my part or just a reaction to some part of my sciency early upbringing, I can relate to that one, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, this is legitimate for investigation as it seems to be the elephant that, with much of post-enlightenment encouragement, is gradually taking over the room. So this question of conscious evolution, of consciousness. Now, I was kind of thinking about conscious evolution. Like, there are some people who question that. Right? Some people basically have this kind of mechanistic... Uh, random, random mutation, natural selection—that that's what's driving evolution, right. right? But really, what Tim is asking here is about the evolution of consciousness. Now, I'm not sure what that really means. Right? Like, See, is consciousness evolving, or is it just a capacity? See, I had my own take on this when I read that. What came to me is that. Um, it, and this comes out of Rudolf Steiner's work, is that he talks about different epochs having different evolutions of consciousness. Mm. And so that's what really resonated with me when, when he's, he spoke that. He went on to say some other things about, you know, he said, um, you know, the idea that humans can and are destined to, quote, evolve ourselves, unquote, in terms of biology and or consciousness, first developing the surrounding physical and intellectual environments which help define our experiences, which of course we can, or that humans as gods can and are destined to transcend our natural capacities via technology. Right. So so that that's like I like stopping there like i think we're kind of entering into this so i at some point i want to go through like what steiner talks about as far as evolution of consciousness with different epochs cuz i think it really plays into this cuz we can't say surely we can't say that 
human consciousness is the same now as it was 20,000 years ago. Right. Right. There's, we've gone through these well, periods. <clears throat> we do have to drill down on the term a little bit. Right. Because there is the capacity of consciousness, right? And then you could say there are states of consciousness. So I say what we're really talking about are states of consciousness, <clears throat> you know, modes of awareness that have a variety of different objects in them. Mm. And these objects function in various ways. So it's sort of the, the view of the world, but the conscious facility is fundamentally the same. You know, we mm. have... Um, Basically, nerve inputs to uh, you know sensory inputs right. to a, a field of awareness, right. right? And that's kind of that I think of as what consciousness is with senses, mm-hmm. you know, with knowing is sort of the etymological root of consciousness, and it's that capacity, it's consciousness as a capacity, that allows us to develop states of consciousness where we have different ideas and kind of. Ob- thought objects, you could call them, or whatever it is. The, mm-hmm. the, 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 the thing which makes up the, the, uh, the tapestry of experience, something mm-hmm. like that. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're really talking about, is the evolution of the um, things within consciousness that make up the substance of experience. Right, right. And, and I think that to, to, what, to some extent, what he's really drilling down on, what he's saying is, to what extent do we have conscious control over okay. that development. Right, right. And I think that's a great question. Yeah, it, uh, boy, that is a great question. And that's a tough one to answer. Do we have conscious control over the conscious evolution or the evolution of consciousness, I should say? Conscious I mean, control over the evolution of consciousness. Well, I would say that, that the content of consciousness so this experiential tapestry that is the substance of what we uh, experience in our conscious being is always conditioned by the the world within which we exist the environment the environment right because we can look at i mean you know there's a, a great book by jared diamond guns germs and steel and he, i don't know if you've ever read that before but he I, t- i'm familiar with some of the ideas but right I never so read he it. talks about why why are some people still in the stone age like say the aborigines the aboriginals in australia mm-hmm. why are they still in the stone age when we're like going to the moon you know, yeah, but uh, so, you know, some would say, well, they're actually traversing the universe, and we're stuck on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, you know, so yeah, there's that sure. that 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 question of, well, what <laughs> is development? What is yeah. progress? Right. You know, and does it really represent a step forward? In air quotes. Um, well, but I was, what I was saying is we're 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 byproducts of our environment, right? No doubt, we're byproducts of our environment. You know, I mean, you know, you can look at at um, the Vedas of India and w- what they said about the cosmos is being proven now by physics, right? So it's like, like somehow they knew uh, the nature of time and physics and all that without having the equipment that physicists have today. Okay, well, that seems like a whole separate subject, and I don't really know to what extent we could. <laughs> You know, I have to balance this because now we're doing the assembly of science. So, oh, it's the assembly that, of science. Yeah, we have a sub. You see, that's you missed yeah, a lot wow, of stuff, dude. Oh my God, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. So the uh, that, that's an interesting. That would actually be a really fascinating thing. Maybe you should be a guest on the assembly of science. Oh, I like that. And present the the Vedic Vedic. case for 
for the modern physics. Modern physics, like yeah. that would be really fascinating. So let's put that in the let's bookmark. put a pin on we're, that we're bookmark. We'll bookmark it, yeah. yeah. And um, return to the topic before we completely lose track. <laughs> so it seems to me that it's pretty much self-evident that the conditions are far more complex and out of our control than we could ever say that, okay, we could actually define how the development of consciousness is going to occur. But that's not to say that we don't have an influence. So it seems to me that we're talking about a kind of negotiation, that we have uh, potential for a wide range of different states of consciousness, and that we can, to some extent, negotiate ourselves towards those states. But it's not a direct line you know, like there are a variety of other uh, considerations that come into play. And so if we're going to talk about we, like as a species, first of all, that's sort of absurd when it comes to states of consciousness, because at least as we're presently configured, we have a huge range of states of consciousness going on. So when we talk about human consciousness and what we are doing inside of that, it's a, it's a freaking mess, really, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We are definitely not all on the same page. So... <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> no. Some evolution of consciousness, we could say, is absolutely incredibly destructive, and we are destroying the planet with that, with that, mind, with, with that level of consciousness, right? So meaning, like, let's just say uh, one view is that the planet uh, isn't really a living entity, and it's just here to be mined for resources and put right. a price tag on, right? Right which means that you can absolutely completely destroy everything around you and not feel any guilt around it. Right. Right. And then the other which is, is you know, if you if you really take a look at how life operates, that's not an unusual state of consciousness for living things to take. It's not it's not uh, always as successfully <laughs> applied, you know, it's not as always ca- as catastrophic. But very quite often, rarely does an organism destroy the very environment that keeps it alive. I don't, I disagree with that. I think that organisms have a tendency to do that. No. Let's take a look at the Absolutely forests, not. right? What, what happens to not the to forests? the point where they actually destroy their own food sources and and destroy their environment? An organism doesn't. Does not intentionally destroy its environment intentionally, that keeps it intentionally alive. is a different question, right? So, I mean, I don't think that human beings were in the past intentionally destroying their environment. I think that now we see that we've been doing it, but I think when this whole train wreck started, we thought we were just, you know, there were there were too many trees to cut down. Like it would never, we would never cut them all down. Mm. You know, there were so many uh, bison. We would never kill them all. You know, there's so many fish in the sea. How could you possibly overfish the seas? Oh, well, we did intentionally kill all the bison, actually. Well, did we like go, we oh, got to yeah. get rid of these things? Yeah, Is we did because it was the food source for the Native Americans. And so we, it was like their power source. So we, we literally slaughtered billions of bison. Just to like undermine yeah. the Native. Yeah. That's horrible. <laughs> Yeah, no, okay, I'm not trying to defend humanity here. We've definitely done some terrible things, but I'm saying that yeah, we've been a, semi-conscious. We've been a, we've been a virus like no other in some respects. Well, like no other. I don't know about that. Yeah. Let's go back to the Lynn Margulis thing about the anaerobic bacteria. Mm-hmm. First basic, you know, from, from the microbiologist's point of view, the longest period of stability of life on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. And what they did was produce 
the toxin that destroyed them and created uh, the uh, eukaryotic cell. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can make the argument that evolution is kind of a series of catastrophes that happen <laughs> as a result of the success of this or that species. Mm-hmm. And there's an interactive quality to it. There's mm-hmm. a degree to which every species is kind of heading towards its apparent goal. But right. on the path towards that goal, it slips out of their reach because they've changed the circumstances of the conditions within mm-hmm. which they're living, often by you know, creating a byproduct that they can't utilize. Which then requires deep adaptation. Right. And that, you know, so, so from that kind of deep evolutionary thrust, we could say that what humanity ended up doing in terms of uh, innovating evolutionary strategies, survival strategies, makes perfect sense within the context of what was happening throughout all of uh, deep evolutionary time. Mm, mm-hmm. We just got way quicker at it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about evolution of consciousness for how is our consciousness going to evolve given the fact that we've created a biological imperative for its shift. We need to shift our consciousness because it's a biological imperative at this point. We are, if we continue down the road that we're on, we are looking at the utter, total, and complete collapse of of humanity, right? The sa- of the biosphere. This, of the biosphere, the yeah. sixth extinction, right? Right. And so uh, our consciousness... I mean, we're already seeing basically that, yeah. that collapse is underway. Exactly. Yeah. So so how is that biological imperative to change going to shift our consciousness? So, so and, and we are in control of that, right? We... Mm, I mean, I we're being forced that. into it. Well, yeah. We're being forced into it. So I'm not saying that we're in control of it in that way, but... We have. I think we have very limited an, control over it. I we have an opportunity to, to. If you think of a, of life as a consciousness playing itself out through the material uh, that it exists in, you know, and that the different forms of life are like different ideas within that conscious mind. Right? Then there have been a, a wide range of ideas within consciousness within. The, the Gaia consciousness, you could say, the living consciousness on Earth. And that each time that a novel form appears, the conditions change, and the conditions ripple throughout the, the forms, basically, uh, the, the entire biosphere. And the more that there is a change, the, the greater the impact that it has on all the various ideas that are at play at that time. So the consciousness is constantly having to readapt. The problem that we have is that the rate of change has gotten to the point where consciousness is scrambling to keep up. You know, we've already talked about how humanity, I mean, this is a conversation you often hear in kind of mainstream uh, social commentary. You know, we have not been keeping pace with our technology. The technology has developed faster than our ability to really understand it and adapt to it. Right. So, in some respects, the change has outpaced consciousness. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, look at the amount of information that comes out just in a day at this point, right? I I listened to a really fascinating lecture many years ago by this guy, Ian Lungold, who was a scholar of the Mayan calendar. Hmm. And and he talked about how, and he talked about evolution of, of consciousness basically is represented in 
uh, Mayan pyramids, how there's hmm. usually like 13 levels to their pyramids and there's, you know, they get narrower each level, right? And he was talking about how that's representative of spans of time hmm. that it took for uh, certain uh, evolutions to take place, like the bacteria phase, right? The where bacteria ruled the earth was like so many billions of years, mm -hmm. right? And um, and then there was then something else came from that, and then that lasted you know so many hundreds of millions of years, mm -hmm. and then so on and so forth, right? And so <clears throat> he was talking about how we've gone as humans, and you know, with our awareness, we've gone from like tribal group soul kind of mentalities into nation state mentality. And then, and, and just looking at the amount of information that's coming out that he said where we were at leading up to 2012, the amount of information that or evolution of consciousness that happened in say 19 years was happening in like a single day. Right. You know, there was that much information. And, and what was happening in 19 years uh, at that point is what would take typically a couple hundred years before that. So what this right. does is it undermines stability. So right. the, It's moving so fast. Awareness, mm -hmm. consciousness, information, inundation with information. It's just yeah. happening so mm -hmm. fast. So you can say that the root has been slowly kind of... Uh, eroded mm. you know and that the the vibrational level has become more to the surface it's not as deep right right so the changes are quicker uh and less <clears throat> well it's bizarre you know because the forces that have been mobilized now are of a type that have really never been mobilized before by living beings as far as i can tell you know we're we're mobilizing forces that are akin to the types of collisions that happen in, you know, highly energetic uh, interactions in the sun and stuff like that. You know, so even even just a combustion engine is a kind of interaction that just wasn't happening really prior. Mm -hmm. And and now we're doing things on a whole other level. You know? Right. Right. So it's it's just. Not only is it happening fast, but the consequences are really difficult to to uh, map out. Like the getting... stakes are higher than ever right now. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I'm noticing in the conversation they were having is that what we were what we were asked to talk about is the conscious evolution of consciousness. Right. But it's really clear that you can't really talk about that without talking about the material world as well, which is a, a, a really I think a beautiful way of describing that there is a fundamental marriage between consciousness and phenomena, you know, between spirit and material that they, they, they operate in tandem. They move along in, in a, in a dialectic, they're dancing together. And so it, it, we're kind of talking about that feedback. There's conscious makes a decision. It affects what's going on. Things change and that impresses itself upon consciousness again. And that's right. basically the story. This yeah. is like, if you know who Nassim Harriman is, oh, yeah. he talks about the unified field theory, right? So where consciousness is going out and it's influencing the ethers, so to speak, and then that feeds back and, re and influences us in return. Um, our, our 
But there's also a more concrete way in which consciousness determines our behaviors. Absolutely. And this is the basic for any organism and its environment, right? So every organism is influenced by its environment, but every organism also influences its environment. Exactly. Right? Yep. So it's that feedback mechanism, but that's Mm -hmm. also in the realm of consciousness. So whatever we're putting out there in the realm of consciousness is also... Uh, is going to influence the unified field, but then that's going to come back and influence us as humanity and as a whole. So when you're saying influencing the unified field, you're kind of talking about the universal soul. Is that is that a? I would say maybe that's a, a good. Is way that a fair of saying, way of I would, I would correlating? Fair, yeah, or like the universal eye, right? So in some sense, so, you're saying that every individual node of consciousness, when it uh, it, its decision is affecting the mind of God. Exactly. Yeah. Which then feeds back and is affected by the mind of God. Right. And right. I think it's like in that territory, a lot of people make the mistake of saying, oh, well, we are all God, you know? Yeah. I, that's a big mistake. I think that's a big mistake, too. <laughs> we agreed on that. Holy shit. <laughs> But yeah, I think that clearly we all play a role in this, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. that probably there's, there's, I mean, who knows? We don't know, but it, clearly it's happening here. There's a, there's a lot of conscious beings all trying to work it out here on this planet. Is, are there a bunch of other planets doing it? It seems likely, you know, that there, and then, and then you have this kind of hierarchy of, of other types of beings that aren't necessarily circumscribed to a planet and, I don't know about any of that, you know. Like I don't I, either, but you but know, it seems it, possible. It, it seems like every indigenous culture, for the most part, speaks about beings from other planets, except yeah. for us. <laughs> well, in you a know? way, we do. I mean, you I know, mean, we we do like our culture. If we're going to talk about like the roots of our culture, right. then you know, Europeans have the whole angel thing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then, if you really read the Bible, it's in oh. there. Oh, it's, it's oh, in oh, there. It's, it's right time. in Genesis, Nephilim, the right? Nephilim, yep. yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the race of uh, where the gods uh, they, they mated with the, the, the women, daughters of men. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they found them to be attractive. Yeah, and you, <laughs> but you see this in the Hindu culture. You mm-hmm. see it in ancient Sumeria. You see it. I was just watching a podcast uh, or watching a video from uh, a Hopi elder, and they were talking about, you know, they have tons of lore of, of, communications with star beings you know hmm. is what they called them you know so i mean this is i saw an interesting story it's a little bit of a tangent but it seems like it's information that would be worth throwing out <laughs> apparently the the Na- uh, the navy has just installed new uh radar systems on some of their fighter jets and they're starting to pick up ufos with it mm. there have been like a number of uh pilots who have said that they have they've had these encounters with some kind of a ufo it's kind of interesting to hear that coming back up again from that kind of world, yeah. you know, not just, uh, uh, what is the guy, you know, coast to coast or something like that. Oh, God, <laughs> like, Jesus. I mean, you, you, if you want to do something really fascinating sometime, go on YouTube and plug in like NASA, NASA uh, video footage uh, and UFOs. Mm-hmm. And you'll see like, you know, video footage like from the space station, space station, like NASA's space station, UFOs, just, you know, YouTube that or something. Hmm. And you'll just see like these, it's just, it's the NASA camera, black and white, just showing what's going on out in space. And these, these ships literally just pop up 
and shoot off and all of, I mean it's just like all over the place. Like, <laughs> well, the problem is that nowadays, really, when it comes down to it, anyone with a decent production studio yeah, can, can fabricate can make that shit. Yeah, you know, I know. So you don't know what's true anymore. He just says no way. It's like completely. But you know, I, mean, I saw an interest. I saw a, an, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust what people said a long time ago more so than what you know people are saying. Today. Well, but I mean, okay, so, you have to wonder to some extent, like the 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 documents that. That we're looking at that are from the ancient world. I'm just playing the devil's advocate. You always you play know? the devil's advocate. I mean, advocate. I still think that it's quite possible, but I'm just <laughs> going to play the devil's advocate because it's like there are good kind of political reasons why you would want to have this sense of a hierarchy of different conscious beings throughout the universe. You know, it, it creates, uh, what's the right way of putting it? Well, it depends on how they're painted. You know, like the 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 picture that we have of who they are and what they want mm, and all that mm-hmm, kind of stuff that mm-hmm. plays a big role, I think too. But the story is so important, mm. you know, and and conferring a sense of significance and a sense of relation with the great beyond, you mm-hmm. know, that I think is something that we all yearn for so much, you mm, know, mm-hmm. and to have it like as part of the canon of the great wisdom is. It's like it just makes sense that it should be there, you know, mm. that, that there's a kind of uh, a fulfillment in it that any good author would want to put in there. If you're thinking yeah, yeah. of like, okay, yeah. the people who were writing at the time, it's a very small number of people, but the people who were writing were the writers, you know, mm. and you know how writers think. It's like they want, you know, they want like a good story that everyone's going to want to read. Like, and so that it will become the currency of what it is that people discuss, you know. So within that small group initially at the higher levels of society, didn't matter what culture it was. It was always a very small number of people who could read and write at that time, right? Right. right. So it, my, my sense is that the same dynamics would come into play, you know, the, yeah. The story would be extremely important. You have storytellers who are just really great at spinning a yarn. <laughs> you know? Now, that's just my playing yeah. fucking devil's advocate. Because yeah. it's worth going down that rabbit hole yeah. and getting a sense of, you know, it's like there's another thing that I'm just going to go quick into. Like the, in one of our previous episodes, we were talking about some of the ways in which the Bhagavad Gita has been, have been used that we wouldn't want to be associated with that text if we're going to take that text as being one of great value. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, like so, slaughtering your cousins. You know, yeah, but also kind of apparently <laughs> uh, Heinrich Himmler, I think that's his name, in the Nazi party carried around a copy of the Bhagavad Gita with him at all times. Really? Because it helped him to commit atrocities, basically. <laughs> and you can understand why, because it's basically about a warrior who doesn't want to do the terrible deeds that he has to do. Mm-hmm. And he's given this elaborate and quite beautiful teaching. Teaching, but also it's kind of like get out there, soldier, and do <laughs> do what you got to do. It's basically a uh, a military psychological manual, and it and it's been used that way, obviously. Yeah. So there I, are some oh, uncomfortable. That, it, hurts, it hurts. I know. It hurts. I mean, I'm just staring. Sorry, at, I'm dude. looking at my picture of Krishna behind <laughs> you right there. <laughs> Uh, I have deep fondness in my heart for that being, and um, well, I mean, and, even Arjuna can barely stand to to he cannot stand mm. to see him in all of his glory. Can, he yeah, has to have yeah. him put put the mask back on. Got to stop. Yeah, your your Too cosmic much. form 
is too great. And it's and it's too terrible. Yeah. Yes, too great and too terrible. Right. Right. And because that is the evolutionary process of consciousness. There's a lot of freaking horror in all of that as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it's beauty. You know, they, they go hand in hand just like the spirit and the material go hand in hand. Right. So we can't forget that because, you know, you erase that. And Well, here's the thing is that, you know, coming back to the topic of the conscious evolution of consciousness, is it also predetermined by the yuga that we're in? Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about that before, and that's okay. yeah, that's kind of another way of framing the the kind of potential within each time for conscious development. Right, right. You know, he throws in this 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 piece about um, he it, further down he says uh, by destined to transcend via technology. I I I mean not to use power tools and computers, but to instill some kind of extra human consciousness in the inorganic realm. Yeah, just to be clear, so that's that's what Tim was asking, yeah, uh, and then kind of elaborating yeah. on his question. Yeah, but, um, you know, and I find that to be really, you know, so here we jump into so well, one, I mean instilling some kind of extra human consciousness in the inorganic realm i'm assuming by inorganic he's meaning the non-carbon based realm right so are we are we putting instilling consciousness in human extra human consciousness into say crystals into well i think he's metals i think he's referring to the information technology now. yes which yeah, is would so be crystals i mean information technology is Based on silica and quartz, hmm, and, interesting, right? That's that. Those are the transducers, the transductors, and that yeah. that's what's sending. You know, so you could think of that as all being within the metal element in mm-hmm. Chinese mm-hmm. in Chinese five element theory. Mm-hmm. So, and and the metal is kind of considered the final stage that determines the next cycle through, mm-hmm. in essence. Mm-hmm. So, the idea that we're like inserting instill some kind of extra human consciousness an interesting way of putting it that's definitely kind of the transhumanist vision right i mean transhumanism has a number of different uh, threads within it mm-hmm. but it seems like a lot of them are trying to figure out how can we get out of these bodies and go inhabit those machines we've been building right or, you know? y- yeah how can we use those machines to enhance our bodies you yeah. know like our vision or our the way that we see, th- I, I, I don't know. I'm not really deeply familiar with transhumanists. It, the whole, I mean, I've looked yeah, at it a little bit. It just scares the shit out of me. It yeah, it's me weird out. shit, I mean, you know. I, 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 some of them are like, I, I want to upload my consciousness into a machine and then be able to be infinitely replicated and put into whatever kind of body I want. Yeah, and that I scares want. the shit out of me. Yeah. That's- <laughs> but I mean, the idea that you could take a consciousness from an organic being and place it in a machine, I think that's absolute insanity. I mean, I just don't see that that will ever function. You know, they may be able to create a model of a consciousness and sort of simulate a being, right? I think they could do that. But, uh, you know, the idea that you're going to be able to take your conscious being and transpose it into a machine and then you will feel that you're a conscious being inside of this machine, I don't think that's going to work. But I do think it's possible that the machines have already developed a form of consciousness. You know, this this whole conversation... (laughs) 
<laughs> one just freaks me out. But two, you know, there was a, you remember the old uh, series Battlestar Galactica from like yeah, the yeah. 70s? Well, there was a new version that came out in like the huh. early 2000s. I heard it was very good. I it haven't seen really it. really good. And uh-huh. This is exactly Maybe you told what, me. I may have been me. I don't know. It's like, but um, uh, but this is exactly it. Where like the cyborgs or whatever they were, they started giving human consciousness to and um, and they, what they were able to do was take them and replicate them. And there was you know millions of this one particular one, and they looked human and they acted human. And when you killed it, they just sent another one in that had it's conscious the consciousness of the last one already in it meaning like it was totally up to speed so it had like everything that that one had experienced through its entire life and then it would die and then the next version of that one that looked just like it would come back in or, or would come in and so the the consciousness was, was it out for revenge or was it just oh yeah like, they were they were they were, they, were, they, they like, remembered that they, someone had, oh yeah yeah, like they knew everything that had happened. So it's like Westworld with memory between lifetimes. I didn't. I've not seen. Oh well, Westworld, I guess there was memory but, between lifetimes. But and yeah, Westworld. I mean, this is what we're moving yeah. towards, or what we're trying to move. Well, towards, that's what the, that's what like, they're and, fantasizing about. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what really fan- what it yeah. is. Yeah, but and I think this is actually a great example of of probably how it actually works. They've got a goal in mind, a few different goals, you know. And let's say that. Uh, one of them is to be able to have this transplantable consciousness, in essence, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're shooting for that, but you could be pretty damn sure that it's going to turn to something else by the time whatever it is happens ends up happening. Yeah. You know what all this talk makes me just want to do? Not talk? No, it just makes me want to move to a third world country and just live on the land. <laughs> Are you allowed to do that the, anymore? I get away from the technology. I'm just so. Uh, I, mean, I don't know where you would have to go now to really God, get away from the technology because it seems like it's it's pretty much everywhere in one form or another. I mean, certainly, I can't remember what the number is right now, but it, it, definitely the majority of people on the planet have a cell phone. Yeah, I know. It's kind you know, of crazy. And that's yeah. that's actually like yeah. really pretty much the, a high end piece of technology. It really is. You know, when it comes down to how it's used and what it means for the powers that be. I pine for the days of the flip phone. (laughs) I got one. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I use. I know. I'm jealous. The headphone headphone jack has stopped working. I took it in somewhere. Like, oh, wow, you got one of those. It's an artifact. At this yeah, point. I mean, I think at some point it's going to be worth something. <laughs> <laughs> there will come a point where we're not going to have a choice. We're just all going to have smartphones. Uh, you know, I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling <laughs> the need to apologize to Tim for just like not really being able to have a conversation about the desired conversation. <laughs> I don't. I think we've been talking about have it. We? Have we? Yeah, I mean, we slacked off there for a minute at the yeah. end, but I mean, I think that. Uh, what we what we've come to is that, yeah, there's definitely an effort on the part of consciousness to develop its experiential being, mm-hmm. so that we can have a better time of it and imagine some kind of way that we'll be enjoying what it is that's happening when we get everything right. You know, which is sort of basically like managing a consciousness. We're mm-hmm. we're, we're we're imagining a future state of consciousness that will be. An improvement over the one that we currently have, 
because of the various issues and problems that we're aware of. Right. And but, as, and, but we're not – here's the thing is – not but. And as you're saying that, I'm thinking some people have their their idea of what is good for the world and others – you know, we all have our own ideas of what's good mm-hmm. for the world, right? You know, and I do have conscious control of the evolution of my consciousness, consciousness based on what I expose myself to and what I choose to ingest, right? Not just right. – um, I'm not talking about food levels. here. I'm talking about – All forms of nourishment. Yeah, I'm talking about what do I ingest as far as the you know, technology is concerned. And, mm-hmm. you know, so what I'm surrounding myself with, um, you know, so I'm not on the transhumanist train. I'm not on the, you know, technology is going to save the world train. Um, so it's like we're all operating, you know, we're all in this together and we're all kind of coming from our own unique. Well, yeah, that is what I think we, you know, we were talking about before that right now we have a very incoherent human consciousness and right. that it's not, you know, very, there are groups that have some, you know, agreement, but in general as a species we're, a very disagreeable bunch. We really don't agree about much. So, and and as we were saying, I think in the previous episode that you know, in a situation where a system is filled with a lot of noise and discord and chaos, you know, to try, sort of try to chip in and and uh, add your voice to the pack just creates more chaos. And you know, we can see that obviously that's exactly what happens in the political realm whenever people try to. You know, it's basically a certain number of narratives that are out there that have a, a a large number of people following them and kind of supporting them. And if anything else gets placed out there, it's just you know flies on shit immediately. Just the question just, here is: is out of all this chaos, will there come order? Oh. You know, the, the other thing that marches along in, in a marriage, you know, the spirit and the material, it's like order and disorder are also yeah. linked in this way that, you know, they're locked in an endless Hegelian dialectic. They can't get rid of each other. That's right. Know? Expansion, contraction, growth and flourishing, death and withering, and simultaneity. It's all. It's, you know, like the farther it goes to one order, side, order, the more chaos. it's going to flip to the other side yeah. at some point. It's, it's just that breathing process, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, I think, the biggest problems is that when we fix our consciousness on something, we have a tendency to think that we can get there directly. Mm. And so we lean uh, to one side, mm. thinking that that will go the place where we want it to. Right. But that dialectic always pulls it the other way. So it's... Uh, you know the influence game is very non-intuitive. You might say, yeah. All the all the more reason to strive towards equanimity of emotions mm-hmm. and, uh, and staying in the now, staying in the present moment. Well, there is this idea that uh, I think it's in a number of different traditions where the priestly class, what they were really doing, was holding the world together. Mm, yeah. And so by neutralizing thought objects and reconnecting with the universal soul they were 
providing enough stability for things to continue and not get completely off pace, you know, not get, yeah. get completely messed up. In the Mahabharata, they talk about how it was the king's responsibility through his through the king's integrity and dharma, mm -hmm. uh, their their ability to lead a dharmic life of truth and values. Um, that actually is what controlled the weather. Hmm. What um, you know, so like when the king's first duty was to his people and made sure that everybody was fed, everyone was cared for, that there was peace and order in, in his kingdom, and he lived a life of truth and integrity and honesty. And, and uh, by living like that and maintaining that for his people, his kingdom, that actually is what influenced the weather patterns. It ensured the rains came on time. Harmony between heaven and earth absolutely. is the way that they would phrase it, in the, and they and, call it the philosopher sage, the sage, philosopher kings. Yeah, and that's mm -hmm. what. And, and during that timer of the Mahabharata and like the Ramayana, the kings were, you know, they were known as kshatriyas, and they were, they were like a kingly priestly. You know, they they weren't like priests, but they they learned all the Vedas, they studied the Vedas, they were adept in war and in religion. Mm -hmm. Right, so they were like priests, kings, and warriors, mm -hmm. and um, so you could say that the Bhagavad Gita is a is an illustration of that integration, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Rudolf Steiner says that you know that all the crazy weather fluctuations and violence on the earth, like you know, say volcanic eruptions and things like that, were all coming from unchecked will forces of humanity. I think that that's perhaps more of a driver of climate change than uh, is ever acknowledged. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. it's, we could look at climate as the soul of the earth. Right. Right. So it's like when you're irritated, you know, if, you're, if your bowels are irritated, mm -hmm. right, the whole body yeah. is irritated. Right. So when, when all of humanity is irritated... Then the whole earth... Is irritated. That's right. Absolutely. There's that feedback system again, mm -hmm. Right environment to the organism organism to the environment mm -hmm. that's it's it, you can't get away from that and right. that's not you know th we can't sit around and think that our emotions don't have an effect on this planet and, and also that and somehow or another that it's just comes down to a matter of individual because if you think of the planet as a living organism and that it's it's irritated because there's a species that's particularly aggravating mm -hmm. right well that's like the whole picture right there, right? Clearly, that's what needs to be addressed. We don't need to think about like all the various details of each individual human being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Know? Like, how do we just calm this thing down? Right? That's right. And reintegrate back into the into the into the the system that we're living in. Mm -hmm. You know, that really would be the best way to go. So it seems like the answer is to um, is to love God, just like, you yeah. know, to to put our Which, attention and, and dissolve ideas. So maybe what the Assembly of Silence is really about is to bring up all these ideas and then dissolve them, just like the practice yeah. that's that's being described here. Yeah, and that's also that's a very Rosicrucian practice you know, hmm. is to develop an image in your mind's eye and then dissolve it. Mm. Create an image, hold it, and then dissolve it. 
I think, you know, when you just said, uh, so the, the thing to do is to love God, I mean, Christ really summed it up, right? When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, mm-hmm. and then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Hmm. But the catch here is how well do you love yourself? <laughs> right. Well, and then the catch, and you, then the catch is, what is the self yeah, that we're talking that's about? That's right, exactly. You know, because if it really is the self that we're talking about here, it's the self of God. Yeah, so you know, it's the, the one, eternal self, the eternal it's, soul, it's self. the one that always was, always will be. And so, it? in that case, the individual self doesn't matter, right? But yet, but really, but, sit with that one. Yeah, I mean, that's big. <laughs> yet, here we are in these bodies, right, and these minds and these emotions. And so I, as far as I can tell from my life is that loving myself is forgiving myself, mm. is being compassionate with myself, cultivating self-empathy, and being able to um, uh, accept my humanity. Which means seeing yourself as others and exactly. seeing others as yourself. Exactly. Realizing yeah. there's no separation, that's only an illusion. That, but it's a very real illusion. Oh, it's a very real illusion, yeah. right? Because, I mean, there are others, it seems like, yet... I mean, Ramana, well, Ramana Maharshi was asked once... <laughs> Ramana Maharshi was once asked, uh, Ramana, how should I treat others? And his response was, there are no others. <laughs> and that's really... It's a great response, but it's, it, it, it's one of those things, it's like, okay... You know, how do you integrate that into ordinary life? Right. You integrate that into ordinary life by by treating every single person you come in contact with like you would want to be treated yourself, right? Yeah, yeah so that's the old right. uh, do yeah, not do unto rule. others as you would not have them do unto you. Exactly. Right. Realizing that if I'm hurting you, the I'm golden hurt. rule. If I hurt you, I'm hurting me. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, that, and that's true. There's truth in that. If I hurt you, I'm causing you pain, which in, in, the, in the essence of my being, that's creating pain. It doesn't feel good to hurt somebody. Well, I guess it's some not, people apparently take pleasure in that. I think I think we that that's where we you know you're going to start getting into. Well, there's a sickness involved with that right. too, right? So right. in the highest, so that level, would probably there would probably be like a fair amount of self hatred. I right. think in that exactly. circumstance, exactly. Um, so I think you know what this evolution of consciousness or the conscious evolution of consciousness. I think it's all, if you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, the rest takes care of itself. It's great to be back. Oh, thanks for coming back. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, throw us a bone by subscribing to this channel, visiting our social media pages, and hitting the various like, love, and clap buttons. We welcome all comments, criticisms, and random thoughts. Our email is silentassembly at protonmail.com. And if you want to be an angel, we have a Patreon page. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home.